Stanovich. Hey, Mike Hogan. It's uh, May twenty second, two thousand eighteen. This is it is uh, indeed. It is indeed. Episode number seventy three of Three Songs Podcast. How yeah, you it's almost the twenty third on your coast, mate. This is a late one. Uh, yeah, I like that. A little late. A little ease into it, but anyways, uh, we haven't really talked about sub pop much. That's true. Yeah. So, like, uh, what's your impression of sub pop? Like, in a nutshell. Uh, well, you know, they were the label. You must have lived it. You lived it. You a were there. A little bit. You know, it was a, It was just a skosh before my time. I was, I was in high school and college in California, and then I moved to the Northwest in 93. And, you know, by oh, then. Okay, yeah, definitely before your time. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, I mean, I was, I was in college around the time, you know, on the West Coast, you know, I started college in 89, and there were a lot of these bands that were, you know, breaking around. I had, I had a sub, I think I had a Sub Pop sticker on my car, along with an SST sticker on my car. Because you're cool. Well, you know. I had, this, I, I had an SST sticker on my uh, 1980 Plymouth Champ. Yeah. Well, you know what, what it was? Were you driving? What were you driving? I was driving a uh, an 85 Celica. Sexy. Sexy yeah. car. Yeah. yeah. What? Yep. Blue. How was your sound system? It was. It was. It was okay. It was one of those pull-out deals, but it was like cassette. You know, I was. Oh not, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I just had a cassette deck. I was there, definitely you know. not cool enough for a CD player in my car. Um. But yeah. But <laughs> well, yeah. No, I. Uh, no, neither of us were wealthy enough. No, and you know, I was. Yeah. I was a. I was always a fan of sub pop. You know, I mean. I had almost. So you've never. I like the one thing about you a lot is that you've never really. You're not the kind of guy, obviously, where you live now in Queens. You've never prioritized car ownership. No. It's a means. And as a proud driver of a 2001 Ford Windstar minivan, it's a very low priority. For me, it's a means to an end. It's transportation. I mean, some people get really into cars. You know, in 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 college. I lived pretty close to the, to the school. Uh, I lived technically off campus, but you know, only a few blocks away. I'd ride my skateboard. I was a horrible skateboarder. Skateboarding for me was a means to get somewhere, and same thing for a car for me. Well, if you would have thought about it, you'd have just walked. Well, it was a pretty big campus, and you had to get from one class to another, and sometimes you only had a few minutes, and so, you know, it just allowed you to get across campus pretty easily. But anyways, I'm going to kick things off with Mud Honey, because, like, honey. to me, I, was... I, I moved to New York in 1989, and, like, uh, the tail end of my college radio career in the late 80s, you know, Mud Honey was a huge part of it, and I'd road trip to their shows, and um, they were kind of like uh, the interesting thing about sub pop at the at the time it was it was kind of way bigger in Hoboken and New York City than it, than it was anywhere else. Yeah, perhaps like Holland, you know, Inc., uh, Blast First tied mm-hmm. into it pretty pretty well. Got it to England, and it was you know it's like uh, it was uh, it was garage rock. So like when yeah. I think about like you know. My, brilliantly performed by like you know well-accomplished artists who like you know love their craft and of course like you know this is the seed you know from which mud honey and nirvana were sprouted you know Soundgarden. there was bands before Soundgarden, and there there was bands before that sure you know like green river and you know of course you know goes without mentioning tad and like we can go on and on you you men even oh yeah no and uh, 
they had like that great singles series. You know, they yep. had a, they had some oh, great yeah. ideas. Yep. They still do. I mean, they're still putting out great music. Right. I mean, we like you know we used to call them pub sop because it wasn't really our style. You know. Yeah. And well, uh, but like I love this record. You know, like so I'm gonna I'm gonna feature Mud Honey tonight because like Mark Arm, Steve Turner, Dan Peters, and Matt Lukens were like they were like kind of like rock gods to me, but like. The leader of the show was a guy called Bob Whitaker. He was their manager. Roadie drove the van, everything. But like uh, this song is uh, called "If I Think" off of uh, Super Fuzz Big Mud. Yeah, so Jack and Dino, man, Reciprocal Studios. Yeah. Seattle. Serious Seattle. power. And I can't imagine what it was like in Seattle because, like, in New York, see, in New York City, like, back then, 89, like, that's the one thing I had in common with the scene. Like, Sonic Youth adored them and Pussy Galore adored them. And, like, and like it was a big night when Mud Honey came to town. Yeah, you know, I didn't live there. I didn't live in the Northwest at the time. But I think a lot of the time, those bands get, you know, maybe it was different with the sub-pop scene because it almost took, I think, 
attention from the outside in order for the locals to really take notice, you know. And, and I think that happens a lot of the time. But in New York, they were like huge. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying huge from the perspective of large crowds, but like hugely influential. influential. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, anyways, play Touch Me, I'm Sick, because this would be like the song that, like, you know, everybody would look forward to hearing. And, like, you know, this, this band, like, paved the way for Nirvana. Oh, absolutely. They I mean, did. They were know, contemporary. Like, you know, people don't give but, them credit for that. Yeah. Like, you know. And, well, and this yeah. was the era that did it. So, like, you know, that's, you know, and that, you know so, like, you know, they don't really get much credit for changing the face of music, you know, like. Mud Honey was the kind of band that Nirvana looked up to. Of course, the Melvins and a few others, but. Yeah, but Mud Honey was like the perfect sub-pop band. They were. They were. And they were. They were the flagship band. Like, yeah. You know, and like, yeah. You know, I, I could be wrong. Like, maybe the, you know, two dudes that run the thing. Like, I can't remember their names. I've met them briefly, like, here and there. But, like, you know. I don't really give a shit what they think of anything that I, I ever participated in at the time, pavement or silver shoes, like, you know, but, uh, anyways, uh, touch me. I'm sick. Classic rock and roll. Yeah, so let me tell you something about the city that you live in now, like in the late 80s and early 90s. Okay. Okay, so because like everybody wanted to be them because they had no fashion, right? right? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, they didn't care. Yeah, and they were just like, you know, kind of like, uh, I mean, they'd played for a while and all that kind of stuff. And they, but they were rambling wreck. So that you know, they had that going for them. They were, you know, a complete rambling wreck, and you know, a lot of serious partying involved that I never participated in. Um, but they uh, they were, were relentless, like a relentless band. Yeah, and they they delivered the goods, you know, like so. They loved to play live. They were they were the kind of band that I always liked and respected, and kind of felt a kinship to because it was not about the look or the style or the airs or the hair or anything else but the music 
It's like a slacker version of MC5. Yeah, sure. For sure. You know, and, um, you know, they... Without the politics, I guess, but... <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, <laughs> They you were know, pretty no, apolitical. No, no, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm unaware well, of their political... I played a bunch of shows with them, like, that it was mostly about just, like, laughing and yeah. drinking well, beer, but... Actually, but, the next song you're going to play is a fairly political song, although it's a cover. Well, they kind of showed their coolness with that one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for sure. But at the same time, like, you know, you got to realize, like, you know, this was New York. Like, there's, like, the two most adored bands in New York were Dinosaur Jr. and Mud Honey. And they would, like, open for Sonic Youth or they, you know, and, like. Yep. That's how I saw and, Dinosaur Jr. That's how I saw Nirvana. I saw Nirvana opening for, for both of those bands, in fact. Oh, yeah, me too. I saw Nirvana open for Jesus Lizard. Yeah. You know. Yep. That was like tying in, but like, you know, Mud Honey was in the thick, and they're kind of forgotten, even though they still exist. Right. Right. Because they they got, you know, they, they rode the wave. Nirvana helped them get signed to a major label. They put out some, some good records on a major label. You know, they toured. I'm sure they did fine for themselves. But legacy-wise, you know... They're certainly not Soundgarden. They're definitely not. Oh, no, no, they're definitely not anything. Pearl Jam. I mean, they're huge. They they got real big in Europe, which is fantastic, you know. And 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 for my money. They would wreck an audience. For my money, give me me Mud Honey any day over uh, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, any of those other bands that kind of followed in the wake i actually will leave like uh early soundgarden out of the equation because i saw early soundgarden at the same time and it was what's the name of their singer uh chris cornell yeah that guy when he was like when that band was not big he was fantastic you know i don't mind soundgarden i'm not trying to diss them i'm just saying but i'm saying like the other bands are terrible but i'm saying like uh (laughs) just absolutely terrible how do you really feel like Well, well, absolutely terrible, but, like, Chris Cornell, like, he could sing, like, uh, what's the guy from Led Zeppelin? Bob Plant. Yeah, Bobby Plant, old Bobby Plant. Yeah, Bobby. Uh, Like, he could sing like that, and he was, like, he was, you know, definitely one of the, you know, most, one of the most talented lead vocalists that ever came out of the Seattle scene. For sure, for sure. I mean, he was fantastic, you know. He was way better than, like, all the people, like, they just like you know the industry like really kind of messed with those bands and like you know Mud Honey kind of got left out. But anyways, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play my last Mud Honey song. I love them. Me too. And uh, I wish they were playing at the eighty thirty five festival here in six weeks. That'd be great. But because uh, they, I'm sure they do a ripper. <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually play a song uh, a cover of one of your favorite bands the that's Dicks. right i keep I, you might feature on a, a i'm a, you might feature on a on a show coming up soon i'm hopefully. going to in fact i will yeah. i will so this is uh hate the police gary floyd and the boys gary floyd mud honey, uh uh mud honey covering the dicks
so that's a fairly straight cover. I like that. Of, yeah. Of a, yeah, it's a great song. Of uh, we have, you have, you have that to look forward to because, like, you know, Teddy will be coming at Marie with that in about four or five years. Mommy, that, I've had a bad day. Th- that's true. That's true. And that's a song they covered in like 88, 89, and the Dicks released in 1980. And I would dare say it's an even more controversial song today. Well, probably so, yeah. You know, dicks hate the police. Yes, it's true. You know, like, <laughs> mommy, I don't know. Do you want me to play the dicks original? I was going to, I was, I was going to feature them on uh, a, an upcoming spotlight show, but. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Let, let's, let's, let's do it. This is from 1980. This is, it's short. The dicks original version of, it's called, I believe it's called Dicks Hate the Police. It's not just hate the police, it's dicks hate the police. Gary Floyd, you got to imagine here, this is a 300-pound openly gay man in 1980 in Texas singing Austin, this song. Austin, right? Like, Austin. Or somewhere else. Austin, singing this song to a bunch of Texas punks um, singing about the police. Here you go, the dicks. <laughs> What more, what more do you have to say about that one? Bobby there? No, oh, I'm definitely here. Okay. You're, you definitely were rendered here. speechless by dicks. Dicks hate the police. Well, they always render me speechless. <laughs> uh, Fantastic performer, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Never had the pleasure to see him. Oh, I did many, many, many times. Partly because... Really? Yeah. Whoa. You saw Sister Double Happiness. Yeah, exactly. Sister Double Happiness, who, uh, and I forget, Lynn Perko, I believe is her name. They had an amazing drummer, you know, and this was early 90s. Because Gary Floyd, I mean, I'll I'll spotlight dicks and I'll talk about them a little bit more in depth. But he he moved, he was openly gay, hard to blend in because he was huge, 300 plus pounds probably. Um, in in Austin, and even Austin, you know, politically was uh, a little more left, but you know, it's still in Texas. So he moved to San Francisco. He formed Sister Double Happiness. They were a band that seemed like they opened for every other band I would go see live. Um, and how I, good were they? They were okay. They yeah. were okay. They weren't. I didn't love them. I didn't hate them. They were okay. They were certainly not dicks. They were nothing like... 
Anyways, uh, well, let, I'm yeah, going to skip the conversation here real quick, and I'm going to ask you to queue up Gary Floyd by Butthole Surfers, and we'll continue the conversation. Okay. So I'll use, All right. That's use one of my plays on that. It's a tribute song by Butthole Surfers to the hero theirs. Well, maybe you should save it for when I do my feature on dicks. Okay, well, yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. Sa- yeah. Save because because it's coming soon. It might even be an next episode. Yeah, uh, so what do you want to do? Do you want to talk Preakness? Let's talk Preakness let's talk for Preakness. a couple minutes. Yeah, let's, do, yeah. Let's, let's do a Preakness in a nutshell. We'll, we'll do the recap since we did the preview last show. Yeah. So, uh, so what's your take? And <laughs> not just not just on the Preakness, but looking ahead to the Belmont. Well, I think that Bravazo and Tenfold are pretty good horses. I think they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think they. I think they really battled on. You know, I, like. Uh, I think they are. I think, Obviously, good magic's a good horse. I think. I think so. Uh, uh, yeah, keep keep going, and then I'll tell you what I think. Okay, so like you know, I'm thinking like you know this horse like he you know justify who's won the first two legs of the triple crown. Yep, he he's shown proper vulnerability. Oh uh, well, yeah. I mean, I perhaps, but uh, I. I Here's, not going to scare anybody off. Maybe not. Maybe not. But here's how I look at it. And this is, I look at it like, okay, we talked about it coming into the, the race. Justify all things being equal, best horse in the race, or at least the most talented. The one. Oh, the, by some ways. Of, of any of the ones, if you were able to own any of them, he's the one you'd pick, hands down. And number two was Good Magic. Who was the reigning two-year-old champion, Breeders' Cup champion? He, um, you know, maybe needed his first race back as a three-year-old, but he'd won his last start. You know, the second most accomplished horse in the race, second easily, most, yeah, easily. So, so here you've got a situation where those two horses. I mean, justify we knew would be forwardly placed. Good Magic. I don't think anybody was expecting him to be pressing the pace and even taking the lead early from Justify, the two of them dueled for, it was a mile and three sixteenths, they dueled for about a mile before Justify finally put away Good Magic. And and they opened up some lengths on the rest of the field. Right. Oh, no, no, no. You, you watched the same race that I did. Yeah. They opened up some lengths on the rest of the field. And so I look at it from the standpoint, you you might be right. I mean, maybe there's vulnerability, and, and maybe the vulnerability is also, you know, this will be, this is a horse who didn't even race as a two-year-old. He's won five in a row. He he will have raced five or uh, three times in five weeks between the three Triple Crown races when he gets to the Belmont. But I look at it just in terms of the race itself. The horse that I always want is the one who does the dirty work, duels, puts away a really, really good horse, and then is able to hold off the closers, who got a favorable setup. Not to, not to slight Bravazo tenfold. They're probably good horses, but I think it's still pretty clear they're a notch below Justify and even Good Magic, who, who ran on very well to hold on for fourth and, and almost even got third. Easily, yeah. So that's my take. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, I could not agree with you more. And and uh, okay, but what I'm going to tell you is, it's like the difference between Pimlico Mud and Churchill Mud is like he ran a race over a glue pot. I mean, that's a glue pot for sure. And in in and when in, I say glue pot, I mean that like that's mud they sink down into. And 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 I think a lot of people were thinking that it was a relatively speed favoring track. Which may have been the case because a lot of the horses in the earlier races, that's all beside the point. One on or near mile, the lead, but a mile three sixteen. So that's that, all beside the point. And like, and you're going to tell you is it's like that's a glue pot. So we're but, talking about these horses right here. We're talking about Justify. But you're making, but see, you're. I'm trying to make the point that you were just trying to make, which is. I think at a mile and three sixteenths, the longer they go, the more tiring that that track is. Oh, exhausting! And, That's a glue pot. And, they, and they, like I've walked on Churchill Downs on a so many times on that surface, you can walk right over the top of it. Sloppy, muddy, anything. 
you don't your feet you can like literally keep your you don't have to worry about your shoes getting wet if you walked on that racetrack at pimlico last saturday you you would you had to replace your shoes all right i'm gonna make one more comparison not necessarily maybe i mean it's a little premature to make a comparison between justify and this horse but i'll I'll compare the two races i'll compare justify with good magic in the preakness to american pharaoh with frosted in the travers Okay? okay so the comparison being and it's a poor comparison. Well, just just, just hear me out. Hear me out before before okay, before right. you knock my comparisons. Hear hear it okay. out. Okay. <laughs> and then and then <laughs> okay. afterward, then, you then you're out. welcome. Then you're welcome. So you're to a better dive. handicapper than I am. Okay. So so um, coming into the race and even going out of the race, the clearly best horse was American Pharaoh. The second best horse was Frosted. And you know, Keen Ice was a good horse, but you know. Uh, a notch below those two all things being equal. What happened was American Pharaoh customarily was on the lead and completely surprisingly frosted dueled with him to his own demise, slit his own throat, tired, but he took enough out of American Pharaoh to soften it up for a horse that all things being equal and no knock to our buddy uh, Elliot Honaker, who was part owner of Keen Ice, uh, picked up the pieces. He picked up the pieces, and he took advantage of a situation where the t- the two better horses ended up setting things up for the closers. And I was oh, not say- to mention my friend Mike Lang, fellow partner with Elliot, yeah. who you know named a Keen Ice. There you go. There yeah, you go. So, you know, so there's no doubt about that. So, so like, but this is a different story. We're talking three weeks. So like, so like, who's the best chance to beat in your mind? Who's the best chance of the bullets that Pletcher's going to fire and everybody else to to upend the apple cart here? Well, with a horse who's been hard tested, he's definitely, you know, and it's not his fault. Like American Pharaoh did not have American Pharaoh. I would, I will say this. Like in my mind, like justifies a better horse than American Pharaoh. Yeah, that's that's a bold statement. It's it's a little early. Well, I'm for me. happy to make it. Happy it's, to make it. It's a little early for me to say that, and it's a little early also for me to even think about who could potentially beat uh, Justify. Because I'll say this: we know Good Magic's not running. I don't. Nah, but like Vino Rosso's running. Well, Audible's running. Neither one of those horses are going to press him. Hopberg's running. Yeah, these are horses that, all things being equal, Justify <laughs> will get a clear lead. And if he's not pressed early, if nobody does the dirty, that's work, over. It's yeah, over. it's over. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. He's better than. He's already shown he's better than Vino Rosso. He's better than Hoffberg. He's better than. Well, if they gang up on him like if, they did on Smarty Jones with Eddington. That's what I'm saying. Is is they've they've got to have somebody go out there and be willing to slit slit their own throats in order to set things up for the horses coming from behind. Otherwise, Eddington was a pretty nice colt. He was. He was for sure. Um but what I'm saying, otherwise, it's a situation, I think, like American Pharaoh in, in the Belmont, because a lot of people think, oh, he was tiring at a mile and three sixteenths. He's not going to make an additional five sixteenths. But here's the thing. Speed carries, and speed is more dangerous at the longer distances. And if you're not pressed, if you get an easy lead, it is really, really hard to run down a really good horse and justify as a really good, and I hesitate to use the word great because we're not there yet but no oh, he, he's great he may come very well be a great horse and you're not great nobody oh, come on no he's what no i'm saying what is the rest of his life he's great no nobody that he's going to be facing at the belmont could you say he's is great at least not yet and so it's really hard to run down a superior horse if they have it all their own way on the front end. That's all I'll say, and we'll see. We'll see how the. Um, well, I'm sure we'll do this again in a couple. Well, of weeks. Yeah, obviously, but like, you know, it's way too much time to spend on the Preakness. That's that is that, is that is that is. We 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 covered it a little bit. I'm gonna play some funk now. I'm gonna yeah, go. Yeah, thank God. New For Orleans. New Orleans. Um, this is a woman I know very little about. This is from a seven inch that came out in 1969. I know about it because there was a reissue that came out about 20 years ago. 
it's called Psychofunkadelia, Psych, Philadelphia, I don't know, Philadelphia Psych, something like that. Some crazy compilation that you can still find. Mary Jane Hooper is her name. Psych, Psychadelphia, that's the name of it. Um, and it's a collection of a bunch of her early recordings, many of which just came out only on 7-inch. She was the protege of producer Eddie Bowe, New Orleans-based. And aside from that, I know a little about her, but um, she's pretty cool. This is a song called I've Got Reasons. So, Rocks and Freddie Hooper. Yeah. Uh, Mary Jane Hooper. There you go. I know. Well, you know, Bob, Mary Jane. Well, there ain't nothing wrong with Mary Jane Hooper. <laughs> no, no, and that that and whole with, that whole record. I mean, you can still find it. It's not that hard to to track down. It's not you're not going to pay an arm and a leg for it. Um, it's worth it. Well, I fried some chicken tonight in the back porch in, in peanut oil. I fried some chicken. Tonight. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got my little thirty dollar fryer out. And I fried some chicken. Yeah. And my na- my neighbor Mike, great guy. Yeah. My neighbor Mike shouted at the and said, "Do you fry chickens?" So I immediately took him a split breast, you know. <laughs> and his wife, his wife shouted out to me like, uh, "She she said, you know, she said now I don't have to cook tonight." So <laughs> I feel like I did all right, you know. I did, I've done all right today. You it, know, I've done all right. If you were if you were frying chicken and listening to Mary Jane Hooper, that would be that be a fantastic evening. No, you'd fry better chicken than, than I would have done watching the Pirates lose to the Reds. But uh, yeah. Anyways, when I mentioned Fred Hooper, we're talking. I think the last thing I said about horse racing, he lived to be 103 years old. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah. He was uh, and of course he owned and bred uh, Hoop Jr. won the Derby in nineteen forty five. He's a Georgia man. A big 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 influence on Ocala breeding. Yeah. Sure. So I'll shift it to Belgium. Belgium. Let's go to Belgium. Because yeah. we haven't been to Belgium yet. You ever been to ever been to Antwerp or Brussels? Brussels. I like Brussels a lot. Nothing wrong with Brussels. Yeah. It's a dark city, isn't it? Yeah, but it 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 felt really old. It felt it. Oh felt, yeah, it feels old. It felt um, like you know a lot of cities in Europe felt you know there were there were older parts, but they felt modern. A lot of Brussels just really felt ancient in a good way. I I really liked it. I liked the vibe. Yeah. Well, especially if you like uh, mussels and frites and white wine. Yeah, and and blonde beer. I saw a soccer riot there one time. The uh, <laughs> wow. I was staying in a hotel, uh, payment and plate or whatever, and like, uh, and uh, there was a Turkish club that had knocked. There was a Turkish club that had knocked like AC Milan out of the uh, Champions League or something. What's the name of the really famous Turkish club? There's a famous Turkish uh, club. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Um, yeah, I can't think of it. I've got a void there. Maybe I'll right. think of it like, you know. Right. But uh, but it wasn't them? I had no idea. I had no idea. Okay, no, it, what, this didn't happen in Brussels. Okay, but apparently, like, uh, Brussels has a huge Turkish population. So, at 4 o'clock in the morning, there's, like, cars going down the avenue in front of the hotel driving like 80 90 miles an hour like waving the turkish flag and people like falling off the like my uh sound man remco who was a total all-nighter as is andy dimmick who was our guitar tech they were all night and they saw people floored and like they're honking their horns and like it's just because like the turks not the best football team in the world out of the uh Champions League. It's a boring story, but like, it was it was Good terrifying. Story. But anyways, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I, I had a lot of wonderful nights in Belgium. The band Solex. Did you ever listen to them? No. You have oh, to I'll play bring them. that to the show. Yeah, bring Great it. Great band. Bring it. Oh my God, they're Dutch. Fantastic band. But I'm gonna play uh, a song. Like one of the best. Uh, people watch music videos. They've been watching them since I was like 13 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So this band Deus, like that we had, we I think we must have played with like fifteen or twenty times. Great band, very freaky band, still going. Really? Yeah, a band from uh, Antwerp. You know, which is an amazing city, it's a diamond capital. You know, and uh, this is Roses, and you know, to keep us on the horse racing thing, you know, this is a fantastic song, Roses by Deus. Yeah, I confess. Now look my way. What can I possibly say? Under- 
you. Thank you, Bob. I haven't heard that band in a long time, and you reminded me that I need to listen to them more. Oh, good band. I'm telling you, they're so good live. I can imagine. Yeah, and they're still going strong, apparently. They're playing these European things, you know. But Galatasaray, that was the name of the Turkish football club. Yeah? Yeah, Galatasaray. Galatasaray. If you see their supporters, head in the other direction, because (laughs) I'm telling you, they don't don't mess around, my man. Hey, what do you got? Uh, All right, I'm going to... I'm gonna do some jazz. I'm gonna go. go. I'm gonna go with uh, little Dave Brubeck, you know. And and this is a song. This is Show Ender. Show Ender. No, no, no. I'm gonna go mellow on the Show Ender. I'm okay. gonna go mellow. This is this is a little. This is a this is a little rave up. This is a bit of a rave up. You know, Dave Brubeck, of course, is probably best known for his album uh, Time Out. Which features the song "Take 5. Hold on, am I, am I out of songs? No, you got one more, man. I got one more. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah you're, checking. You're you know. good. You're good. We're all good. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, well, I'm Brubeck. A, Brubeck. Brubeck. I'm gonna play. Yeah. I'm gonna play a song. I think this one came out in about 1960, um, and this was this was actually a single, and. Um, you know, it was the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Dave Brubeck, 61 is actually when it came out. Uh, you know, Dave Brubeck, white jazz dude. Um, a little bit square, I guess. He's not Coltrane. He, he wasn't shooting the heroin or anything like that. A little square, but um, this song's not square. Oh, come on. How many white jazz guys aren't square? Well, it, this one's called Unsquare Dance. So, All right, well, get it? Uh, get it? Tell us, tell us the stories. Get it? Un- unsquare dance. Uh, and I love it because yeah. it has one of my favorite. You're a percussionist. You'll appreciate this. One of my favorite. No, not thing. a good one like this. Five Ooh, minus no. four equals unity, my man. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but uh, but um, this one features hand claps. I love songs with hand claps. So. Nah, yeah. Well, you can clap along. Yeah. And, and this is a dance tune. This is a jazz tune, but this is a dance tune. Dave Brubeck Quartet. You better get up and dance with Brock Saru. All right, I'll do it. song bob oh i dug that yeah i've heard it two or three times yeah hard yeah. hard not to smile when you hear that one no oh, it's a laugher it's a good song i gotta pivot to uh uzotra you ever heard of them i haven't you've been to omaha no 
No, Heather and Nick Larimer, they're raised in Omaha. Okay, Heather and Nick. Right. Yeah, good kids. Really good kids. Husband, wife, and I, brother, I don't sister? Think they're kids anymore. No, brother, sister. Okay. Brother, sister, yeah. And uh, a Miss, yeah, Obscure, you know, but like a uh, fantastic I like band. I like Obscure. Yeah, Salu Lake of I can't even I can't do him justice. Like Heather, she she's one of my favorite people that I've lost touch with. Okay. Um, well, maybe she's Salu, listening. Salu Lake Salu Lake That's yeah. the name of the song. By Uzotra Uzotra Yeah. Uzotra. Great band. Okay, let's yeah. hear it. Pacific Northwestern Rock. Yeah, but I thought you said Omaha. Well, they're from Omaha, but they live like Portland, Seattle. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I could hear it. Uh, Definitely has a K feel to it. Um, Beautiful people. Beautiful people. And they sound like a band that would be fantastic live, so I'll have to check them out. Oh, good band. Uzotra. Uzotra. And uh, yeah, yeah, so that's... um, E for for those of us listening. E U X. Yeah. A U T R E S. Okay. A U T R E S. Two words. Uzotra. Wow. Yeah, I would never have known how to pronounce that. Uzotra. Good, good band. I like it. Um. Well, I'm gonna bring the mood down. I'm gonna. I'll see. I'll see you at the the Arc de Triomphe. Yeah, I guess you will. Yeah. Uh, well, if enable runs, we'll go. Yeah, okay. Buy my yeah. ticket, I'm there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, I will do. You know. I'll uh, buy my Breeders' Cup tickets today if you want to oh, go. Nice. Nice. Yeah, Church- if you want to go. I've got Churchill. tickets for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think about a nice little house. The whole thing will cost you, like, the whole package. The tickets and the house cost you 350 for the five days. That's not a bad deal. 
Nah, that's a good yeah. deal, isn't All it? Right. All right. So get in. Okay. You, you know, I know you got. No, you get. No, you're not going to make it. No, like, chances are obviously not. Yeah, chan- very slim. Very slim. Chances like, are very slim, but I appreciate the yeah, offer. You're more than welcome. You know, <laughs> like in every and whenever you want Breeders' Cup tickets, just let me know. Okay, I appreciate it. Well, I'm gonna. I would say Santa Anita next year, but like you know. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. All right. What uh, do you got? Uh, I'm gonna end it with something mellow. This is a band that um, I think you're familiar with. I, I was a big fan of this band in the '80s, late '80s. I, I guess indie rock, sort of, um, sort of alt country before alt country was even a term. But I, I kind of, in a way, thought of them as, you know, similar scene as the Feelies. Uh, I'm talking about the Silos. Well, I saw them many times. Yeah. And they were, um, they're kind of a forgotten band, I think. Georgia, uh, totally forgotten. And they were, they were forgotten when they existed. Man. Yeah. Well, I remember this well, album. They were overshadowed by Yola Tango and the Feelies big time. For sure. Jersey band. For Jersey sure. Jersey band. For sure. And in this album, Cuba, uh, amazing, great album, amazing. great tour, great band. Yeah. Totally overlooked. And I'm going to play probably the mellowest song on this record. This is a, oh, hell yeah. This is a happy record. They, they could rip it. They could rip it. They could rip it. I'm going to play a really mellow one. This showcases the wonderful songwriting and singing of um, Walter Salas Humara, who was the uh, leader oh, of the band. Oh, man. Um, and uh, this is just a really, really sweet, poignant song written about his daughter. Uh, it's called Margaret. And um, I just have always loved this song. So uh, so it seemed like a good way to end the show. So, Anyways, I'd like to say, like, uh, we had a jock here. He had a bad fall. Marlon St. Julian. Oh, no. Good man. Really good man. Yeah, he's, he's in bad shape, you know. And uh, he's a good man. He wrote a Philly for me called Drink Bubbly many years ago at Keeneland. But, but beside all that, I know him personally and, like, He's got fractured vertebrae and stuff like that. And God bless Marlon St. Julian. Yeah. He's a fantastic character. And, like, you know, he's having trouble breathing and all that kind of stuff. Like, so this show, the entire show's dedicated to Marlon, you know, like, uh, you know, bless him, you know, bless the silos, you know. Terrible news. I had no idea. Uh, yeah. Get well, Marlon. I'm thinking of you. But, yeah, this one's the silos, Margaret. Margaret goes to bed around eight I go to bed around one Margaret it's a bad six I get up at six four days a week and you're a family Four days a week Fortunes Oh, Margaret Margaret is willing to share her food Share her thick brown hair Margaret is willing to share her toys Share her deep brown eyes Four days a week And you're a family Four days a week Fortune Speaks all the words she knows. Her lungs so small, her breath so warm. 
Margaret goes to bed around eight. I go to bed around one. Margaret gets up at six. I get up at six. Four days a week, and you're a family. Four days a week, fortunes. Oh, Margaret. I always love that song, and you know, it's just a song after you've had a kid. <laughs> like, I can relate. <laughs> I can relate. Going to bed around one, getting up at six. Oh hell yeah, that's pretty good hours for a kid racer. Uh, I guess, yeah. Anyway, let's say one thing on the way out about jockeys, right? Like whenever a jockey rides a race, they stamp herself or himself as a part of history, don't they? No matter what they do during the race, because it's like. You know, arguably ninety-five percent racehorse and five percent human. Like, you know, right. right? Yep. You know, you can argue about that till the cows come home. Right. Okay. But like, no matter what they do, they stamp themselves as part of history because, like, you know, horse racing is historically recorded. You know, that's true. Generally speaking, generally speaking, that's true. like, regardless of the continent, right? So it's a moment in time. You know, it's, it's a moment in time. And it's a beautiful thing. It's actually like a performance, like to me. Like to me, it's like the beauty of horse racing. Like the human element, like is very much there. Absolutely. Whether it's like a whether it's a fifteen year old kid or a seventy year old man, you know, or a you know, you know, regardless of like gender, like you know, anything about these people, you know, work so hard in the industry to make themselves something, and like, you know, bless them all. It's a dangerous game. I agree. Well said. Get well, Marlon. All right. Love you, mate. Thanks, everybody. Love you too, Bob.